rather ridiculous week, I think, for everyone, a, a marathon of, of activities and, and, and collaborations. Uh, I am very honored to be sitting here with you at 154, the African Art Fair, with Ifani and Phoebe, discussing their collaboration, their commission, and their work in general. Uh, this will be just a, a very free-flowing conversation, and I actually invite you in the audience to feel free to interrupt us, uh, raise your hands, ask questions. We'll have a, a, about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes of Q&A at the end also. Um, but, you know, we want to this very much, I think, maybe to the chagrin a little bit of Ifani and Phoebe, but I really wanted this to be a conversation. Um, because I think that is very much in the, the spirit of what's happening here at 154 and what happens here in London in general during this week. So, uh, without further ado, as we're, as we're, we're speaking, we'll have um, the slideshow of uh, Ifani and Phoebe's work, and we're sitting on their work also, excitingly <laughs> enough. Um, so I think, you know, in that, in that vein, I mean, maybe can you tell us a little bit about the story of how this came apart, uh, came, came together? Um, um, there's a story about how it comes apart on the, <laughs> there's a, a little kind of plinth where yeah, it exploded. Well, exactly, I think I that, that, that was where the word yeah, play, yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, my name is Ifani. I'm a London-based designer. Um, my background is in architecture and engineering, and my work sort of is influenced by, you know, my sort of like previous practices, also driven by my passion for arts and technology. I was approached by Togal last September, last year. Um, I've known Togal for a while. I've known Dayo, who's sitting here in front for, um, for quite some time, and she wanted to work on, um, on a piece of furniture because she normally does like African inspired textiles. She wanted to work on a piece of furniture that would kind of showcase the textile. So the, so the um, brief was quite, you know, quite loose in a way. And um, I took it as a, as a kind of opportunity to present something that would elevate the presentation of the textiles while taking a kind of back seat or kind of back background to, um, to the overall sort of construction. And I was experimenting you know, with the project, I was experimenting with arch, arch structures as they were sort of like a kind of ubiquitous form in a kind of urban fabrics, but then they're completely sort of invisible and camouflaged. And um, in doing so, you know, taking something so every day, I sort of, you know, kind of, I guess, something new sort of originated from there. So, you know, like, it was also like very clear that an artist was going to be working on the sort of, you know, the, um, the, 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 the textiles. Yeah. So, um, the drawing. Yeah, yeah, the drawing. And um, Dio was very familiar with Phoebe's work, and so was I, but I didn't know that Dio knew Phoebe. And when she told me that she had approached Phoebe and Phoebe had accepted the invitation to work on this exciting project, I was very excited. So we created the design and kind of like... Handed it handed over. Handed it over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at that point, you know, and we spent, you know, between September up until the spring, we were, you know, like by this early spring, we had developed a, a prototype. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and as I was in contact with 154 over the last couple of years, we thought it would be a kind of great opportunity to kind of, you know, have this sort of conversation and extend within the space. Within the space, yeah. And, then and so then at that point, yes. when you received this, uh, this brief and this, uh, the arches and the 
Yeah. Um, so, so uh, I'm Phoebe Boswell. I'm a visual artist, and my practice kind of um, involves lots of different layered media. Uh, oh. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So, uh, so Dio knows my work and has come to a lot of my shows, and. Um, so when she approached me with this, it was kind of a ser serendipitous moment because I was um, I'd been working on a on a piece called Mutumia. Mutumia means woman in Swa in Kikuyu, my mom's tribal language, but uh, some say it translates more directly as the one whose lips are sealed. And the piece is a um, it's a salute to women in history who've used their bodies in protest when they haven't been permitted to use their voices. And um, it's a particularly, uh, you know, kind of relevant subject even these last two days with what's been happening in Poland. Exactly. I mean, this is it. Where I came from with the work was a very kind of East African place, but but it is it's something that um, it's a very universal uh, topic, and um, and so. Because I was making this work, I was researching a lot of um, subject matter to do with certainly African feminism, and I read a really amazing essay called The Kangos Present by Ndunda Kyoko, who's, this, who's a Kenyan writer. And crazily enough, when Dio, as soon as I read this, uh, this essay, Dio sent me this email saying, we'd like you to do this project. Um, uh, and invited me to reimagine my version of a kanga. A kanga the kanga is the East African cloth that I'd been reading about through Ndinda's essay. And, and the essay was basically in the same kind of vein as what... Um, uh, Hello? Yeah. Um, in the same vein as what um, Ifani was saying about taking the everyday, the kanga is a very everyday, ubiquitous um, fabric that women have worn for generations in East Africa. But Ndinda's argument in the essay was how um, our histories should be documented through the kanga. And so, uh, so yeah, so when I was invited to do the project, I uh, thought about this essay and I thought about what I was making in the studio. And I just wanted to celebrate women so my fabric is called duniake which means her world in swahili and it takes um the writing which is the most important of part of a kanga um it takes the slogan from ndinda's essay and it's a message to me and ndinda and tagal so and what was was there a brief i mean it's almost you, you should almost be up on stage with us here talking about this because it really seems you know that you you match made this in, in, a, in completely uh, what was the brief when you received the design from Ifanyi? I mean, it was it was that it was to re reimagine the kanga, and I was given the shape of the cushion, so I knew that the writing had to be in a in a specific space. But there was no um, Dio had seen another piece of work that I had made, um, which was for a, for a project called The Matter of Memory, and that was a it was a, a custom wallpaper. Um, based on uh, it, it's a long. The Matter of Memory was a was a project about Kenyan history and about the um, the Kenya's colonial past, but it was exploring it through my parents' memories of, of childhood, and so the piece was set in my grandmother's colonial living room, and all the kind of fabric, the mundane fabric of this living room was kind of permeated with these narrative stories, um, which spoke of the brutality that exists 
in our everyday and in our family, familial history, but also in the Kenyan history as a whole. And what Dio had seen was this wallpaper that from afar it looked like just um, uh, flowery patterns, but when you looked up close it was writhing human bodies and DNA structures. And so that's what, that's what she was thinking. So, uh, <laughs> so she didn't say you have to make something like that. Those were, the two, those were the two little bits of information uh, uh, that she I, gave me. Can I jump yeah. in there? Please. That's also very interesting because if you think about the way the lounge is sort of laid out, I think the, the design of the fabrics actually does exactly that. You know, you have a kind of overall kind of sea of graphic patterns and vibrant colors. But when you come closer, so you, see. Like, you start to read the, you know, the figurative emerging from the abstract space of the, of the, of the room. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting for me to see it in situ in the lounge because I hadn't made it for this purpose. And, um, and it, was in, it, was, it was great to see that it served those two purposes, but I only... It, it was after the collaborative yeah. process that that was a kind of realization. I don't know yeah. if you knew that that would happen beforehand. No, I mean, I, no. It was a happy yeah. accident. Was, well, we yeah. shouldn't say it, that. Well, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an accident. <laughs> it was just, you know, I mean, I, I remember receiving the email from, um, you know, the first sort of, um, the first draft of the design that oh. you made. And yeah, I was really excited. And I could al already kind of see that that could work in that, in that context. Yeah. So from, you know, kind of working, this kind of idea of a working process. And I think, you know, when we first met to talk about, about this talk, um, and that it, it was, I remember using that this was like a commission rather than a collaboration in, in many, like r rather than solely a collaboration in, in that sense, you know, not an artist, collabor artist collaborative, I mean, I but a commission for a purpose, for a project. I mean, a commission is when someone invites you mm -hmm. to collaborate in this yes. instance yeah. exactly. or, or, or to work alone but so, or whatever. And I think that, but, but that's a really interesting conversation because I think as a designer, yeah. that is something that is much more common yeah. than as someone who's a visual artist. Yes. So maybe... Well, so I, I saw it as a commission and I think you saw it as a collaboration. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, because yeah. I'm usually working by myself yeah. most times. Yeah. And I guess on many occasions, my work, like everything in, in this page, like Full Circle and the Splice, I mean, those are self-initiated, you know, like I designed the orange piece, which is upstairs. That was part of my first collection in 2010. I didn't have a gallery. I just, mm -hmm. I just launched my practice and I wanted to kind of create works that were kind of working in a kind of architectural way, but then... Well, like I think it's also work. very different, you know, I'm somebody who works much more within the visual arts, but also, you know, have a connection to design. And I think, yeah. you know, what you see is that idea of, you know, design is, I mean, we're sitting on your works right now. And I mean, yeah. I just came from the tape and, you know, you can't touch the paintings on the wall. I mean, yeah. so it's, it's, it's just a very clear line. Yeah. So maybe we can explore this idea, I think, of what it is to be a designer. And then that idea of working with things that are really within the realm of, of you know, everyday life that, get used and abused. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, these pieces have, you know, they've been kind of well received. And, the, and um, they're very, I mean, for me, they're almost like the geometries are very, like, extremely simple. Like, over the last couple of years, I've been working with planar geometries and versus uh, the earlier work, which is more sort of like 
complex surfaces, complex shell structures, and different types of construction methods. But I was also sort of fascinated by the idea of bringing that type of complexity, which invites multiple types of inhabitation into like planar surfaces. So like in this kind of collection here, you have this, this table, which is a, the exact same structure as the base here. I mean, the base mm -hmm. is like a support for, you know, like the sort of like zone where Phoebe and I's kind of collaboration kind of in, is inhabited. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have like the seats where people are using in multiple ways. You know, some people are not even sure if you could sit on them. And, and you know, like you've got these, these bolsters are, you know, like have this kind of nomadic quality, you know, like mm -hmm. you can throw them on your bed, you can throw them on your sofa, and then you have this kind of pedestal which you can use in the hallway. So like, you know, like I'm very interested in things that you can use in multiple ways and, you know, like just endlessly mm -hmm. in that sense. Um, I think your question was, uh, for me, I think it was about uh, how you justify, I guess, doing a a functional object mm -hmm. as art mm -hmm. and uh, for me the reason why I would call it a c commission and the way I the way I saw it in my head when whenever I take on a commission uh, mm -hmm. which is not often uh, because I'm so involved <coughs> in my own practice and trajectory but but when I when I do take it on it's because conceptually there's something that will align itself with what mm -hmm. I'm thinking about and so I see from where where the challenge for me was was in the was in thinking about the design in terms of in terms of uh, these other thing, thoughts that I was having about um, about women and um, and it was a playful thing for me to do once it became something that in my mind was then going to be this functional object that you were going to sit on and then when it turned into being the lounge at one five four that was to me that's where I kind of stepped outside the process a bit mm -hmm. because. That's not my no, remit, yeah, and, and, um, and but so then it was a pleasure for me to come and see it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I think, but you did, you know, we collaborated on the wall text. Oh shush! <laughs> <laughs> you can't keep pushing this collaboration. <laughs> I wrote on the wall. I did. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I just took a picture of the wall upstairs. It, it's, <laughs> I, I think it's really I beautiful. I thought it was very cool. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you know that is. But I think that's like always like the greatest um, relationships are those really where and where you see them successfully in history are where artists, designers have a really great editor, whether that editor is a patron or a gallerist or the combination thereof. And I think, um, you know, and as somebody who you know, began my own professional experience working in a gallery as the artist project manager, you know, the artists who I, you know, absolutely thought were just, you know, A, the best to work with, but B, who I thought, you know, had just a great kind of future ahead of them were the ones who listened and the ones who honestly understood where their role is and where their role wasn't and weren't trying to micromanage everything and weren't trying to insert themselves in processes that really had nothing to do with <laughs> their autistic yeah. expression. So, you know, that being said, one of the most difficult artists I'm not gonna name here by far the most difficult artist I ever worked with has become incredibly successful. So, you know, clearly there's an exception to the rule. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think it's, it's having that idea of a relationship 
um, whether it is a collaboration commission, whatever it may be, but having a relationship where you trust the person who has, you know, has asked you to be a part of that process. And I think very much in this case, you know, with Dia and, and, and coming together in a place like 154, I mean, also the idea of being here, maybe we can explore a little bit because a lot of, you know, traditionally, you know, artist designers will shy away from the market. And so for, for being in an art fair, uh, it's not that typical that you see, you know, artists really being involved in the process, but 154 is a very different yeah. type of, yeah. you know, it's really about advancing art that is not usually, art and design that is not usually, um, you know, kind of yeah. taken into consideration. Yeah, I think for me, the, um, I, the context helped me to, because I've already, I have a conversation through my work with 154, mm -hmm. and then um, Ivania has his own conversation with 154, and so to, to have this place as a meeting place rather than a design space or yeah. a, a I think this yeah. was a, this was, it, it, it Created a harmony yeah. to as, it. as much as it is a fair, it's like a place for ideas and conversations, yeah. and you know, like, yeah. Well, and so. it's you know much more than just an art fair. That's a you know kind of just you know selling work you know with with galleries. It's about I think creating an, an alternative conversation and advancing you know art of an entire continent that is not usually you know kind yeah. of considered. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think you know, that is probably something that people have then come to embrace you know of being here. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that um, um, talking about interdisciplinary practice, I think that we are um, we're at a point in we had an interview today, and I was saying I'm a storyteller, and he was like, "The art world hates storytellers. What are you saying that for? That's not good to put in an interview." And I and I think that um, uh, that's changing because I feel like the world needs new stories and new voices and I think those new voices have the freedom because they're not a, they're not the dominant voices they have mm -hmm. the freedom to to expand in yeah. whichever way yeah. they want there's no I mean I certainly don't feel a pressure anymore to um, to restrict myself to what I imagine art to be mm -hmm. so um, well you both come from yeah. a very know let's say very establishment western educational background um yet of course you know have you know ethnicity heritage you know childhoods etc that are not part of that same conversation and i think this idea of being a storyteller or you know kind of looking at these other other you know other stories within your own histories are very important at this moment. You know, I, I was yesterday um, at an artist studio that's very much about like concept and form and minimalism and art history, which is great in a very, you know, London Western context. But at the same time, we have to expand this idea that it is okay to tell a story because those stories have not yet been heard. Mm. And, and I and to say them in whichever yeah. way is the best way to say them. Yeah. And um, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you being a part of the, the Making Africa show, yeah. I think was a really Im important yeah. moment. Um, you know, it having a, have been you're traveling around the world, um, and then I, I remember it at Vitra. Yeah. Um, a lot of yeah. artists, I think, now sometimes, not a lot, sometimes shy away from this, you know, being deemed, oh, a Middle Eastern artist, an African artist, an African-American artist. 
and not participating in those shows that are so yeah. you know ethnicity centric. Um, but I think sometimes it is okay. Yeah. Because you're fine. you're at, it's it's an educational experience. Yeah. And then I mean you can the, tell the, us the how I mean the truth of the matter is I mean when you create a work you kind of put it out there and people have multiple interpretations and yeah I'm very open to. So you know, and being a part of that show, I think, was a big turning point for yeah, you. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Um, that was a piece from 2012. Also, it's very related to the orange one upstairs. I mean, I'm so glad I had a chance to show the um, Oh, that's actually from the Vitra installation. I'm glad I had a chance to show the, um, the full circle upstairs because it's a, it's a very important point in the kind of conceptual development of the studio, kind of using this um, multiple surfaces which create like a s kind of seamless continuity but they you know multiply habitable mm -hmm. and that's you know like this is the same an extension of the same project but in a manageable scale in metal for mm -hmm. example so um, yeah it was great to I mean, I don't really know what it means to be a, a Kenyan artist or a Nigerian artist, or a, and so I, I, I love one five four, but I, I think we're still we're in very, we're in a very strange space that you have to have a one five four, um, and you have to have these these types of, mm -hmm. um, I th I think we like to categorize people, but I don't know what that. Uh, I don't know. I have a strange no, no, I relationship with, I think with like how the, the end game that. is that it all just becomes one, you know, yeah. kind of conversation, which you know I'm very biased. I have some tape friends that are in the audience, but I think you know what the tape has done with the switch house is make that all part of the same conversation. You know, you don't have an African gallery, a Middle Eastern gallery, uh, you know, an, an American gallery within the switch house. It's it's all about you know putting things into context about that place in time or that subject or you know that theme, um, but it it took some time you know it, yeah. it took you know these years of of, of collecting the works and, and being able to integrate it you know intelligently you know yeah. in that way. So I think you know you have to start somewhere really. Of course. Yeah. And you know like I've been lucky over the last couple of years I've had a chance to show at the Swiss Institute which dealt with um, kind of. Lekabusier's idea of domesticity and trying to translate that into, you know, 21st century kind of living or say like the Shenzhen Biennale sort of like trying to reimagine re sort of disused urban spaces. So like, yeah, the, the, the work is amphibious enough to fit into multiple contexts, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I think, you know, kind of coming together, especially in a place you know, like London, obviously 154 has been expanded to New York. But you know, being able to reach audiences, um, but also making people feel very proud of, of, you know, where they come from. I think you know, you also you know, within being in the studio space, that's amongst you know many people, and I think there's quite a few educational initiatives that you're both, in, you know, involved with in tours or you know, in, in doing something like this. I mean, how important is that to you to almost be an evangelist for the work you do? Is that or I um, think you I you think quite you do it. To say. Well, I mean, if any, I mean, I feel like you really are somebody who is very supportive and out there and, and talking about you know that this is an important conversation to have about my work about or your about work about about you know kind of putting <coughs> these things within the context of you know the rest of what's yeah. happening in, in mm -hmm. art I mean, art and design. I, I just you know 
I just, I'm a, a little bit restless, I guess, sometimes, <laughs> and I have to make and, you know, and talk. And <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's just that. Really. And, and um, I, I guess the only thing I'm really interested in is making space. So in a, in a categorized world, <laughs> and when you continuously are categorized, so you're categorized as a woman, as a black person, as an African, as a, but in those categorized spaces, as long as you can make space that is your space, um, that's what I'm interested in. And the fact that each person's space is equally important and equally valid, because I think the more that um, becomes the case, the more we can kind of start to break down these, the essentialness of, the, of these, mm -hmm. the way we kind of think about um, categories and think about archives and think about all of these things. And, and the more that we do that, the more that we can start, hopefully, to break down the dominant na narratives that, that place these categories outside the mainstream or outside mm -hmm. the... So, uh, so yeah, so my, my thing is only to, um, to be honest enough about my voice and not to... Yeah, I mean, for me, it was because, you know, like I studied only architecture. I mean, I, I did lots of, you know, art history studies, film studies, other studies, engineering. But, you know, like my major is architecture. And it was, it, it's, you know, and it's a, I had a modernist education in, in many ways. So it was always about, I would say, maybe absolutes, you know, like talking about materials, talking about forces, talking about urban contexts, you know, talking about data, like things that you might say are... Very dry. Yeah, or just like, you know, like having nothing to do with my background, my mm. identity or anything. So it's just... Yeah. So when I started practicing... Like yeah, academical yeah, but yeah, exactly. So when I started practicing and I started, you know, joining the conversation about, you know, Africa, it was, it was great, you know, because... I, I feel very welcome in the, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's weird though, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, you have to, you, know, you, you make your work and you get embraced by different groups and it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy, you know, it's pretty cool. Were you about to say? No, I, I, I no, <laughs> no, I think that, um, I think the embracing is lovely. I think that sometimes, uh, I don't know. My, I'm always concerned with with honesty and honest conversations and conversations that aren't like coerced. And so I find sometimes spaces seem a little bit like pushing Forced. you into yeah, like pushing you into. I'm not saying that, about yeah, you, but I, I, I uh, yeah, I, I don't find all the conversations that. Well, so there's like a tension, I think. Obviously, I mean, even you know, I think to have that idea of, yeah, of course, you, know, you find your space of conversation, but then you, you know, you have to maintain your integrity, but at the same time, celebrating your identity or celebrating your yeah. heritage. So, you know, it's the, the, that combination of, of being, you know, true to yourself. I mean, it's like anything, being true to yourself yeah. as opposed to being true to a community. And, you know, sometimes there's <coughs> that very gray line. Um, of, you know, what you want to do. I mean, you know, for instance, uh, an artist would just come up in, in conversation, David Hammett's, you know, David Hammett has been embraced in so many communities and, you know, absolutely 
almost refuses to work with institutions, which I, you know, I can understand where he's coming from, but I think it's, you know, it's frankly been kind of detrimental, you know, not to his career, because clearly he's doing very well, but, you know, it would be amazing to have that exposure, you know, to younger artists, younger people, to experience what he's doing and what he's done. So yes, I mean, you know, yeah, you're, you're maintaining that I am this person, um, but at the same time, what about, you know, just like being there for the rest of humanity, mm -hmm. I think, is, is quite important. Um, on that note, maybe should we look at your video? Oh, yeah, I forgot all about <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Uh, so the, one of the great historical figures, Othello, who has been reimagined. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, a film uh, I wrote came out today, so um, we're gonna watch it. It's like the first screening, it's never been shown before. So it was just released today at noon? Yes, by The Guardian. And um, so I think about I four and a half, five minutes. Yeah. So. Um, and it's kind of talking about this stuff. It's talking about um, Othello and the race tensions in Othello. And uh, um, yeah, I so wrote it. Shola Amo directed it <coughs> in the audience. And you're getting the first screening of it. So there we are. I only told her my stories of the places I've been, of the trauma, the drama, the things that I've seen, the far away, the exotic. It all seeped into her heart. That's the only food I do. You can't keep us apart. Did you know, Mr. Shakespeare, for no one is sure, when you decided to draw Othello as a moor, that his blackness, his otherness, would always raise queries about whether the play's racist and other such theories pertaining to your own true thoughts as the writer, the drawer, back in Elizabethan times, which of course was before all these histories of trauma, inequality, migrations that have amplified difference, magnified segregations, traded souls across borders, constructed black and white as the slave and the master, the weak and the might. So some say you couldn't know when you drew your hero back in the 1700s. because I read in the Cliff's notes that back then England's queen proclaimed her discontent at what she had seen as a swarm of negros and blackamoors who crept into the realm to the annoyance of her people. So in picking the helm against these aliens, mostly infidels, consuming relief, she made this guy Casper, who was a merchant, the new deportation chief. So, Mr. Shakespeare, though the slave trade hasn't yet turned hearts to stone, it could be argued that as humans, we've always been prone to attacking those weaker or darker or different or fearing the other or marking their dissent. In your own words, Mr. Shakespeare, you pose black as the devil and create characters who speak race at an astounding level. 
They describe Othello as devil, lascivious more, black ram, who evokes prejudice at every turn. And your hero is damned by Brabantio's accusations. There's no way this white child in her snowflake white purity could ever be beguiled to seek the sooty bosom of such a thing as Othello. He claims witchcraft or voodoo, black magic, but you then subvert the whole thing with the poise and the grace that you give to Othello. He stares fate straight in the face and says, I only told her stories of the places I've been, of the trauma, the drama, the things that I've seen, the far away, the exotic, it all seeps into her heart. That's the only voodoo that I do. You can't keep us apart. And it made me think a little of the art world she was the other, as I am a brown female who has yet to discover how to be in the mainstream of the art world's white male tower. They like my stories, but from a distance as great titans of power. Anyway, Mr. Shakespeare. James L. Jones performed Othello's speech about voodoo to Barack at the White House. It's on YouTube. And you knew so well back then how to write for the other, how to give credence to difference and give words to a brother. So I can see why this role garners so much attention. It's a role any black actor worth his salt hopes to mention. But wait, Mr. Shakespeare, back in your day, there were no black actors, all women playing your treasured roles, only the white ones. Nicholas Burt, Edwin Forrest, Edmund Keane, Ira Aldridge was black, but some found that obscene. What is obscene to me is how recently blackface was banned in Othello. It's a total disgrace. Let's give thanks then to Paul Robeson, who finally brought to the part all the honor, the grandeur, the valor of heart that you wrote into your art that has bewitched generations with its twists and its nuance and its reverberations. It is the crossover of nation that makes Othello the most coveted role for a black actor because it comes from somewhere way, way down deep in the mind eternity. So, dear Mr. Shakespeare, did you choose the dark charcoal for his, I quote, sooty skin to make a point about race and who can, who does, and who should fit that is okay to talk about in this context. Uh, yeah, um, I think, again, uh, it, was, it was a commission by the British Council uh, to, um, to respond to a Shakespeare play. Um, they you knew it had to be Othello. Well, no, <laughs> actually, they gave me Romeo and Juliet first, and then I went in for a meeting. This is being recorded, this is terrible, but I, it, I went in for a meeting, and then, <laughs> 
And then they afterwards said, oh, no, you don't want to do Romeo and Juliet. Why don't you do Othello or The Tempest, which yeah. is about, you know, belonging yeah. and home and stuff. So, so, um, so yeah, so there, there was that. There, there was, you were okay with that change then? I mean, I found it funny that they assumed that that was a better fit right. once they met me. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, <laughs> we'll just leave that resting there. But um, no, it was it was it was in the end good because um, again, as as I was saying earlier, I think when you do a commission, you have to find something in it that is relevant to your practice, mm -hmm. and um, and I think that for me, certainly, it was it was a way of speaking about things that frustrate me about the art world, but it was. Th again, in this in interdisciplinary practice, because it was film, which is slightly removed from my regular platform, it's going to be shown in spaces that are not galleries. So, right. so there was a kind of freedom in that for me uh, to be able to write more, uh, <coughs> yeah, and to and to be able to kind of articulate um, my frustrations, but critically in this kind of slightly removed space. So, um, well, so I think, I mean, yeah, I think even, I mean, even past lines of, uh, you know, ethnicity, you know, any of that. I think even now you see uh, institutions really breaking down the barriers of interdisciplinary practices. So, you know, MoMA now has, you know, kind of rethought uh, the curatorial titles and the curatorial departments and roles, you know, not just having a curator of painting and a curator of photography and a curator of drawing, a curator of design. I mean, MoMA, of course, was one of the most important design departments in the world, but do you see that almost sometimes affecting negatively an artist? that is a designer and wants to be considered a designer or i mean i think the i feel that <laughs> in the art world there are definitely like hierarchies within different types of practice and i think like design is uh not yeah, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's fighting its way up there but yes I yeah can, i, I mean maybe it's where photography was 200 years ago <laughs> but um, but yeah i mean it's I mean, not I think it's, really yeah. kind of Part MoMA of the has like a very strong, because I think the founders, you know, like Philip Johnson was an architect and he had traveled a lot in, um, in Europe and wanted to bring back what he was seeing at the Bauhaus and, you know, mm -hmm. and they, they really considered a lot of the new industrially produced materials and newly industrially produced kind of works as kind of works of art, you know, like they would display a propeller from a helicopter or, mm -hmm. you know, like a car, the way they would display arts, because they found, you know, like they considered engineering to be kind of an art form in itself. But mm -hmm. that's specific to MoMA's. Right. Yeah, kind of founding. And they, it's kind of it's progressed. It's changed and progressed, yeah. of course. Yeah. You, what were you, you were just about to say? Uh, I was just, in terms of, um, how you describe yourself as an artist now. I was at a dinner and um, I sat next to a, a lady who's going to be in a show with me, and we were, you know, doing that thing of, oh, what kind of work do you make? And, mm -hmm. and she and she was like, I'm a painter, and then she's like, abstract, and <laughs> and it was such a funny like sort of old-fashioned thing to say. I haven't heard that in ages, that mm -hmm. you define yourself so clearly with a medium because so many of us now are interdisciplinary and that the freedom of that, of that is, is, is immense. I think that like design and, yeah. and painting for some reason st seems to remain kind of in its own yeah. remit you a know, little like, bit. I mean, that's also but like, for me, it's like central to the way I founded my studio. I mean, like the expand design, is, it's originating from 
the sort of expanded art, expanded arts movement of the 70s, mm -hmm. where like artists were sort of working in different disciplines. Sculptors were making music, filmmakers were making paintings, and just kind of seeing what sort of um, outcomes they were getting. And that's the kind of view and the sort of like experimental interdisciplinarity that I was trying to kind of create in the, in the studio, basically. So do you see, for instance, you know, obviously London is, you know, we're going to have the newly reimagined and reopened design museum um, and in a very different neighborhood in a very different place um, do you see something like that being able to then add to that conversation <coughs> if they recreate that conversation in um, terms of the idea of like how design sits within that canon um, I mean f from what I understand of the design museum's mission the one in London it's more about sort of like educating the public about what design is and can be and that's sort of like the sort of like broad spectrum mm -hmm. of the discipline as well from fashion to you know architecture and yeah I'm, I'm, it, it needs to be between several institutions I would say I, I don't think like one place would be able to, to really know, be able yeah, to answer yeah I think that. the VNA is like a very interesting space for, for that as well you know because mm -hmm. they've I think part of the founding was to kind of create even craft and fashion and art and kind of everyday objects. It's like an archive in a way for those, yeah. those practices. Well, and obviously then even that now the VNA has created a partnership with the Smithsonian. Yeah. So, you know, again, the Smithsonian, of course, has the, you know, the American National Archive almost in a way <coughs> um, to create that conversation. Yeah. Um, as we're just finishing up a little bit, do we have any questions or feel free to start thinking about your questions. Oh, we have one here. Yeah, I've got one question and it's really for Phoebe. It's around the discussion on collaboration and commissioning um, in relation to your short film. You've used Ashley Thomas and I, he's an amazing actor, mm -hmm. um, but as an artist, mm -hmm. and when you're being commissioned by something like the British Council, and you, meant, you touched on the fact that it's gonna be in accessible places, do you have to rethink your use of your actor and think about his accessibility? Because obviously Ashley Thomas isn't just Ashley Thomas, he's Bashy the MC. So do those things come into consideration? How does that affect you as, affect the art? In a way, you're there's that commercial element of value and its accessibility. Yeah, um, <coughs> it kind of, I, I think this goes back to what you were saying about in any kind of commission or collaboration, you have to know where you, <coughs> where your part, where your effort is. Um, I wasn't involved in the casting. Um, I wrote it and uh, conceived it. And then um, with British Council, uh, we picked Shola as the director, and he has a production company, so that, so then they took on the, uh, the responsibilities that, that I wouldn't have. Um, it's an interesting one, because for me, it was the first time that I was working in that kind of way. Um, they very much wanted a star. Like, I mean, the first conversation about it was like, should we get Idris Elba? <laughs> you know, like, it was like, hell, you know, like, it was all that kind of that, you know? <laughs> and um, I actually didn't know who Bashi Thomas was. <laughs> I didn't know any, because I was saying Idris, and then they were like, oh, he's really old. 
and then I realize I'm really old. And then I didn't know any of the young people, like all the young like MCs that they were giving us. So I mean, um, a great actor, there's no question about it. He was, I think he was perfect for the role. I met him on set for the first time. I googled him to see what. He was. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love your work. <laughs> um, so no, I wasn't involved in that. Um, uh, that side of it, and I'm in in a way. It's interesting because when I was first approached by British Council, I didn't realise the extent of the project. Um, it was a pretty well-funded short film. I don't know even. Uh, I mean, in terms of the marketing, it was unheard of well-funded, and so uh, I'm used to making little films in my studio with my camera and. Uh, you know, like on a tripod, and so so my uh, my scope of of what the production would be was like this, and what it ended up being was was to do with the production company in Chola and and their collaboration with British Council. So I don't know, but it kind of went out of my hands a little bit, um, in a good way because it became something more than I would have imagined and I think that's why good collaborations are, you know, like they they exceed your But I think it's also about like a trust issue. I mean, yeah. It's like the two of you you trusted very much mm -hmm. the person yeah. who was who was uh, you know asking you to do that commission. You trusted the British Council. So I think it's the idea of where it originates. Yeah. Um, and and the and I think it's respect as well, like respecting each person's uh, vision and respecting each person's experience to what they're going to bring to that mm -hmm. thing so i had a, i i felt very lucky and very blessed in it because uh um i wrote it with i wrote i wrote it when there was no kind of massive conversation about money or you know there was no, like that hadn't started yet so i had like the freedom to kind of just be very um in my own studio space doing that and then and then handing over handing it over to Shola and allowing Shola to just kind of do everything that you saw. And and then, I mean, it was interesting because then I was in it, which was kind of weird. And then <coughs> you had like a stylist giving you dresses and, you know, like the whole, that whole thing was kind of strange to me. And being in front of the camera was a weird um, part of it too. But, um, but yeah, it's about then trusting that other people, are, that your words are safe in someone else's hands. And that's, I guess, the, the key to a successful collaboration. Do we have any other questions? Oh, right here, Gabriel. Thank you. <coughs> uh, I've, I've got a question for you. Um, so I appreciate your, your training in um, as a modernist and as someone working perhaps with pure form and with that uh, very Western history of modernism and pure form but I think we often forget the debt that modernism has to Africa. And I think that, I don't know how this keeps being forgotten, that Europe has been constructed out of and from Africa for the past 400 years. And we look back at Picasso's use of African masks to deconstruct the human form. Uh, we look at the importation of materials from African continents that end up as mahogany drawing rooms. Um, no one thinking about the result, you know, what happens to the forest that it comes from. Yeah. Um, modernism has fundamentally been constructed from Africa, 
and even in the form of your stool, I look at it and I see maybe because we're at 154, <coughs> maybe because Phoebe's drawings are on them, but I see an African headrest and I see your cushions and I, you know, you said um, nomadic and yeah. the first thing that I thought was Bedouin, again, yeah. North African. Yeah. So it, I don't, I, uh, I always get confused and people start to think that the world isn't the same place, like Europe isn't a different place. It isn't a different yeah. world to Africa, like they're yeah. not in two different universes, like yeah. they're fundamentally connected by economics and history. Yeah. Um, okay. And modernism is a result of an African influence. Yeah, um, like the first collection, um, the No More Play collection, so that it was consisted of um, the full circle, the rent table, I don't know if anyone saw the rent table, which is the marble piece. It's kind of a single block of marble, and then there was a kind of um, a tootsie, which is a marble rug. And um, I titled it No More Play, which is one of my favorite essays from, from Rosalind Krauss, who writes about the sort of like circuits of association between, you know, like Picasso's practice and modernism and, and you know, like African kind of forms. And I was kind of thinking of myself as an African <laughs> working with Western, say like the full circle might be related to like your sort of like the, the post-war cantilever chairs, but it's been distorted to create, you know, like something kind of like, you know, like a revolution that you kind of experience in the round and create, you know, like a, a, a new kind of way of, of like seeing a cantilever basically. <laughs> so yeah, it's always, it's, it's always been there. Like the, you know, the fact that Africa has been a resource for inspiration and I'm an African using the West as a resource of inspiration as well. And I'm gonna ask the title for Tootsie for your marble rug. Uh -huh. uh, what does that translate to? Um, Tootsie is actually, so the marble rug is, I imagine it as something you could roll, and I just named it Tootsie Roll. It's like an American candy. So, yeah. In South Africa, it means like gangster or thief. Oh, all right. That's pretty cool. Well, we've been learning a lot about Nigerian like yeah, lingo. Yeah. What was it gonna, I think you were going to call it. What was I going to call it? I can't remember. I can't remember. It means, it means, it means rubbish. What was the first name oh, we. Um, Yeah, 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 yeah means it means rubbish, basically. So this was the piece on top is supposed to be called. In Swahili, it means she. Yeah. <laughs> and then in kind of it's um it's almost pigeon. It's almost pigeon, <laughs> but sometimes you know like the some it's of slang. the yeah, it's slang. Yeah. It might be it might originate from Yoruba, but it might not. I'm not too and sure. I think that's actually an interesting point. Is this idea of translation? Yeah. yeah. Very much. I mean, thank yeah. you for your point because I think that's a, a really important one, especially in the context of where we are now in, in, in London and what is happening in general in art and design and architecture, um, in how things may get lost in translation mm -hmm. or how, you know, especially let's say not to, really, you know, not to the audience that we're speaking to now, not to like an, an educated, curious audience, but to, let's say like the everyday person who may not understand what that means and be offended by something but really not on purpose, you know, mm. where it is not, you know, mm. for that, that reason. I think that this idea of accessibility and tr translation to that audience is something that we, you know, I think have forgotten. And I think especially with Brexit, I mean, I think that was something that was completely lost yeah. in, in, in that. Um, 
So, yeah, thank, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Do you have any other questions? Well, I think um, maybe also, I know you both have big projects coming up, so. Um, yeah, um, Phoebe. Um, uh, I'm just about to finish the piece I was telling you about Nijinia, which is an interactive, immersive installation. Um, the one about the women, it's an army of naked women that will permeate the white male space of the art institute. <laughs> and, um, uh, and that's going to be in the music, no. In the bike site, moving, <laughs> moving image by Emil in Geneva, um, which Elvira Bianganiase has curated, co-curated, <coughs> and then I will be working on a solo show, which will be in Tuani Gallery in London in in March, and a couple of other things. Cool. Um, so also this week, I launched the, uh, in conjunction with um, gallery Elisabetta Cipriani, I launched the Cityscapes collection, which is a jewelry range I've been working on for the last, I would say, almost three years. It's been interesting for me to sort of like battle with that, you know, very kind of tiny scale, you know, like how you translate digital information to, you know, to like 3D printed metal and what kind of tolerances you're getting. I'm also, ornamental. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm working on a solo show, which well, it's a two-person show, which opens in about uh, two weeks in Zurich. And that's with um, Gallery L, and it's uh, with a visual artist, multidisciplinary artist called um, Christina Otisica. Um, performance, paintings, so like I'll have a couple of, you know, about half a dozen works of design in this <coughs> space, and then there'll be, you know, paintings and performance. And uh, yeah, I'm working on a very exciting project in um, Scandinavia, which is for a folly, like a kind of building you can, you know, not really functional, but it's habitable. Yeah. A play so space. A play space, yeah, mm -hmm. it'd be really cool. So I have to get back on that yeah. very soon. Well, good luck to you both. Thank, thank you, you so and thank you everyone for being here. Thank you everyone for being here. And thanks to 154 for giving us this incredible yes, opportunity to, you know, to show the work and to talk about it. And also thanks to Togal for supporting the crazy ideas. <laughs> and, uh, and, and being a great oh, yeah. maker. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is a limited edition. Okay. This is a limited edition of 200 works. And as you can see upstairs, they're also varied. Um, we've got the first 40 from the edition, which are available. And they're going like hot potatoes. How much are they? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have a special price for 154, which is 720. It includes VAT. And um, afterwards, you know, you um, yeah, you can ex ex expect a price hike because you'll be getting. That is the way design yeah, works. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way design works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Thank the installation you pieces. Thank you. Thank you to yeah. all of you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Such a fantastic conclusion to today's discussions, all of which have raised some really crucial um, and fascinating um, issues to do with artistic design and, and design. Um, and we're hoping to continue this discussion tomorrow, so please all do come along. We've got a really fantastic program of events. Um, starting off with the forum film, 
um, in at about 12 o'clock, so come along to that. Followed by um, Adzu Nogbogu, who will be in conversation with Emily Klein, Caro Akpokkiere, and Hassan Hajaj. Followed by um, Aaron Cohn will be returning, who was here earlier, to continue um, discussing architectural practice a little bit with Kunle Adyami, uh, Rashad Ali, and Dris um, Uwadahi. And then later in the afternoon, we'll also be talking to Glenda Roche. So please 